And speaking of God's word, I'll ask you to grab your Bible then, and would you turn with me into the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. And if you need a Bible today, just raise your hand. We'll be glad to share a copy of God's word. We keep some in the back just in case you need a Bible. So, Ron, there's at least one over there. Yeah, and a couple more, and that's great. Thank you for taking one of these Bibles. Yeah, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, let this be a gift from our church family to you. You keep this Bible, write your name in it, and whenever you come back to the Bible church, you'll have your Bible with you. There is also a note page in your bulletin. If you didn't know that, grab that. If you wouldn't mind, that'll be a, a help along the way. And as you would know, if you are a regular part of the Bible Church family, but would probably not know if you're just visiting with us today as we're kind of in this uh, holiday season, uh, we have been, for the last couple of months here at the church, uh, sharing a study series that is focused on the names of God. His names are beautiful, wide-open windows into his nature, into, into God's character, names that he has taken for himself so that we might know him better. And to date, we have had, as an oppor- as, have had the opportunity as part of this series to share uh, eight of these many, many names, more than a hundred names by which God has revealed himself in Scripture. We've only gotten eight, but we have those eight. And so we've stepped into, up to this point, since you have not been with us, into the name Elohim, our strong, powerful, infinitely great creator God. We've looked at Yahweh, our personal, relational, promise-keeping God, and, and Adonai, the God who owns our lives, the maker of us. We've looked at some compound names of God, Yahweh Ra out at Herky Creek, the, the Lord who shepherds our life, and, and Yahweh Shalom, the Lord whose presence brings me peace. And, and then we took a morning and we shared Yahweh Nisi, the, the Lord who is my banner, who is my protector. And then Yahweh Jireh, my Lord, who will provide my sacrifice for sin. And then uh, two weeks ago, it was Brandon who shared the compound name Elkanah, my God who is jealous for me and for his glory. So we've had some wonderful times with some fabulous names of God, names that we can call upon any time that we want to. In fact, God would, would want us to call upon him using these names. They remind us that we are in relationship, brothers and sisters, with the God of the universe. Doesn't that blow you away? Great, great names. Well, today we enjoy yet another of God's names, and this one is perfectly suited to the season. And this particular Sunday, as a matter of fact, because this is the Sunday before we celebrate Christmas on Thursday. And so our next name in our series is the name Emmanuel. We've been singing it. The, the ladies sang that name for us. And we're going to share that name together now. What does that name mean, church? God with us. Yes, my God is always with me. That you were able to respond so quickly and strongly when I asked you what this name means reminds me, though, of one of the great challenges for us as Christians who have been followers of Jesus, perhaps for a good long time. The challenge I'm thinking of is the challenge of holding on to the awe and the wonder and the worship that Christmas truth should ignite within us 
when year after year after year we return to the same familiar words, the same familiar songs and scripture passages and familiar themes. When we have been long in Jesus, and many of you have been decades in the Lord Jesus and your faith in him, and that is true in my life. I've known Jesus for a very long time and shared many Christmases around the themes of Jesus Christ. And there is a hazard that comes for us who have known Jesus for a long time at this time of year. And that is the the, the hazard of the familiar kind of hijacking our hearts so that we go through the motions of Christmas, but without the emotion of Christmas. That's a very real hazard that we can experience without the thrill, without the the wow, without the wonder that that should accompany the great truth of Christmas, that is that God left heaven, that he put on flesh, he entered our world, he became us so that he could die for us, so that we could be with him forever. Amen? That's a great, great truth. But sometimes, because we've shared it so often, we... We kind of get the motions, but without the emotion. And what I would hope to do today is that together we might confront that hazard of familiarity and capture again the wonder of an incredible name of God. And in the process, capture the wonder of Christmas and its deep, deep truth. Emmanuel. Your Bible's open to Matthew's Gospel, or your phone is on, or your iPad's up, whatever you're doing. Let me read for us. beginning at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, just to give us some context because we're just going to really be camping out in verse 23, but a little bit of a run-up. Again, this is a passage so familiar to us at Christmas. We hear it, we see it in our Christmas cards, but let's, let's see if we can once again lay hold of the wonder of it all. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that being the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And we'll stop right there. Again, verse 23, which as your Bible may point out, if you have study notes in your Bible, is a repeating in Matthew of a promise that God made to Israel 750 years before this moment that we're sharing in Matthew chapter 1. And he made the promise through the prophet Isaiah. God's people at that time were being threatened with invasion by a foreign army. They were literally, as a people, thinking that they were going to be wiped out. They were going to be eliminated and erased uh, off the face of the earth as a people. 
very afraid of that. The king was terrified. The king of, of, of Judah was terrified of that thought. But God says through Isaiah, 750 years before the first Christmas, no way. That is not going to happen. You will have a great future. And this is how he says that. He gives him a promise. Chapters 7, verse 14 of Isaiah. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 750 years before Jesus comes. God says this is how it's going to happen. No one's going to wipe you out. God says, I've got plans. I've got great plans. And so 750 years later, God makes good on this promise. His people are never wiped out. A virgin conceives. In fact, his, this, this, this one who conceives is a direct descendant of the king who was so terrified 750 years earlier. She delivers a son. His name will be called Emmanuel. Well, there are two names in this passage in Matthew, the name Jesus, which we won't focus on this morning, and this name, Emmanuel, which we will spend the rest of our time zeroing in just on this one name, what it means to God, what this name means for you and me. Somebody says, well, that's a lot of time to spend on one word, Emmanuel. Well, perhaps, but you know, some people have spent their entire life on this one word, and have not considered it to be enough time to get to know the word well. John Wesley is a name that some of you might recognize. He was one of America's great Christian leaders, lived in the 1700s. His life impacted the Christian community, the Christian world, literally globally, and and he continues to have influence even to this day. It is said of him as he was on his deathbed, drawing his last breath, that his final words in this world were these words. The best of all is this. God is with us. The best of all is this. God is with us. Emmanuel. As he died with this name on his lips, I would propose to us, church family and friends, that today we live with this, this name in our hearts and with it on our lips, and not just at Christmas, but all the time. Amen? Amen. Emmanuel. Uh, this is a compound name in Hebrew, Emmanuel, if you were to have heard it 750 years ago in Isaiah's day. Imanu with us. El, the shortened form of Elohim, our strong, powerful, infinitely more creator God. And so literally... Emmanuel, with us is God. And then we take that in English in our day. We kind of scrunch it all together, and it's Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Three words that describe this name, that explain this name for us. And each one of these words, I would suggest for us this morning that we take a closer look at each one of these words because each one which is folded into this wonderful, wonderful name, is, is, a, is a word that is heavier than our whole world, and it will last longer than our world. God with us. And if we take those three words, and then we put emphasis on each one separately, and we understand the name Emmanuel, what we're hearing is 
God with us. God with us. And God with us. Yes. Do you get that? If we place emphasis on each one of those words separately, this name begins to come to life in a very special way because it's Jesus' name. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with us. You're with me now. Great, great. And Jesus is God with us. Yes. It makes for a very simple uh, outline there on your study page. But the implications of this, the truths held within each word, brothers and sisters, they are awesome for us. And they take the, the familiar that could be our Christmas and turn it into wow. Jesus, God with us. So let's take each one of these words and just hang out with them for a little bit together. First, Jesus is God. In fact, can we just say that out loud together? Jesus is God. Do you believe it? Absolutely. At the very center of the meaning of Christmas, as well as the name Emmanuel, has to be this. Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, the all-powerful creator, promise keeper, maker of the universe. God has become a human being. That's Christmas. That's the the message of Christmas. That's the, the truth of Christmas. Everything else, the music, the traditions, the the decorations, the presents, all of that is just secondary stuff and sometimes distracting. The creator God has become a human being. That's huge. That's, That's wow. That's Christmas. Scripture cannot resist telling us this great truth over and over and over again at every turn of every page. The truth is there. Jesus is God. The New Testament opens here in Matthew's gospel, and we're only 23 verses into the book, and already we know this great truth by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. Why? Because nothing about the Christian faith makes any sense if we don't get that, right? So we get that early in Matthew's gospel. And then all the way through the New Testament and many places in the Old this is this is truth is told to us in impossible to miss ways. Jesus is God. And so there on your note page, I've just extracted from from literally dozens and dozens and dozens of passages that we could look at, just a few to represent the great truth that Jesus is God with us. One of the most familiar is in John's gospel, the opening chapter. He can't even wait 23 verses to declare this glorious truth. He has to do it in the first three, right? You know these words so well. In the beginning was the Word. That's another name for Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Friends, is there anything unclear about this? No. Jesus is God. When, when Paul makes, uh, he's speaking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he makes this statement. We're told that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, leaders in your church, to care for the church of God, which he purchased 
with his own blood. Now you might read past that verse and not stop to think about the implications of what it's saying. Paul says, God purchased the church. He purchased Idlewild Bible Church with what? With his blood. And clearly Paul's talking about Jesus, right? He's making Jesus very clearly here God. Wow. God with us. Emmanuel. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he proved over and over and over again by his actions that he had authority that only God would have. If you stop and think about, for example, in John chapter 6, Jesus had authority over the physical realm. What does he do with a picnic basket in John 6? He takes that picnic basket that has a few loaves of bread and a couple of pieces of fish, and he, he makes a banquet for 12,000 people. Only God could do that. Shortly after that, in the same chapter of John, Jesus, we're, we, we understand he's presented as walking on the water on Lake Galilee in the middle of a terrific storm. Who can do that? But God. In Luke chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus demonstrates his, his deity by exercising absolute authority over the spiritual realm, ordering a legion of demons out of a tormented man's life. Do you remember the, the story? Yeah, Jesus sends those demons, a legion of them, into a herd of pigs, right? Incredible moment. But those demons had no choice but to go because why? God said so. <laughs> That's right. Only God could make that kind of an order. And sometimes Jesus' deity shows up in less obvious but no less powerful and no less profound moments. For example, we know that Jesus forgave people of their sins, right? We know that truth. But, but that has major implications for identifying who Jesus really is if you stop and think about it for a moment. And let me illustrate it this way. Uh, let's just let's just say, for example, that hmm, that uh, that Clint punches Chris in the nose. Okay, all right. Be a foolish thing to do, but he might think about doing that. And then I walk over and I say to Chris, "I'm really sorry, Chris. I forgive you." And Clint and Chris, they look at me like, you can't forgive anybody of anything. That's this, this didn't involve you at all. Clint punched Chris in the nose. If anybody's going to do any forgiving, it will be Chris who will need to forgive Clint. You can't forgive Clint, right? That, that's right, right? You can only forgive if the offense is against you. Well, what then was Jesus saying about himself when he says to a paralyzed man, who was brought to Jesus by friends and they opened up the roof of the house and they dropped their friend down in front of Jesus to be healed by Jesus. And before Jesus heals this man, he says to him first, your sins are forgiven. What does that say about Jesus? What does that say? How can Jesus forgive that man of sin in his life unless that man's sin was in fact against him personally? The only, it only works if Jesus is God, right? It only works if Jesus is God since every sin in every person's life, in your life and in my life, is ultimately a sin against him. 
Though he does not say it overtly, he is screaming, I am God. I am Elohim. My holiness has been offended, but I choose to forgive that sin. And I can forgive it because I am Emmanuel. There were other times when Jesus was far more overt than what we see there in in that other passage. He says in John 10, verse 30, can we read it aloud together? I and the Father are one. Is there anything veiled or mysterious about that? No. We are one and the same. We are co-equal, co-eternal, self-existing. We are the uncaused cause of all that is. No veiled revelation in those words. And and brothers and sisters, uh, in a few moments, we're going to share together the communion table. We're going to remember the death of Jesus for us. And I take you to that moment, that night before the cross, when Jesus was with his disciples and they were sharing a meal in a rented room. And, and, And the disciples were really distraught because Jesus was saying, I'm going away. I'm going to be leaving you soon. And they were, they were really distraught. And, and so one of them, Philip, one of the disciples, he makes a request of Jesus that is so honest, just comes from his heart that's in, in, in upheaval. And so Philip says, in, in, and this is on your note page as well, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. <laughs> what a request. Show us God and we'll get through this moment. Right? That's what he says. That's what he asks. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has what? Has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus says, look, men, for more than three years, I have have not been secretive with you about who I am. I've told you and I've shown you over and over and over again, I am God, God, I'm I'm clothed in flesh, but I am all God. And if you don't believe my words, then just, just process the data, right? Consider all the evidence. I am Emmanuel, God with you. But Jesus by this name is, is more than just that. He is God with us, right? God with us. If you flip your note page over, let's think about that second word that is part of this great name, Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. You know, I had not until recently ever thought of the word with to be particularly a beautiful word or a word that I should cherish. But boy, after hanging out with this name, I love this little word, with. Attached to this name, it's not just beautiful, it is to be cherished. God in all of his majesty, God in all of his power and all of his glory, who is infinitely greater than the whole universe, has put himself in the person of Jesus into a form of withness. Withness. Is that even a word? Withness? It sounds like witness with a lisp, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of sounds like that, witness. 
But brothers and sisters, it, it is the story of Christmas, isn't it? It is the story of, of withness as, as, as Emmanuel, God, comes to be with us. Every time we say the name, that's what we're declaring. Infinite, holy, high, exalted, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai wants to be with you. He wants to be with me? Really? Really? It's been God's heart from the moment that He created the first man, the first woman in the garden in Genesis chapter 1. He desires, though he is complete and utterly fulfilled in his own being and person, he has no wants, he has no needs, but he desires, he wants to be with his human creation, to share his person, to share, to, to share his very self, to share his heaven in an intimacy and in a closeness and in a fellowship that is so rich and so deep, you and I can't even begin to imagine it. And this is his heart's desire. And it's been so from the very beginning. But sin, sin destroyed all of that in one horrific moment that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. Holy, perfect God from that moment cannot have fellowship with unholy, self-exalting sin that has now entered the human race. The relationship between God and his human creation was, was, was torn apart. And yet God's heart his longing for withness never changed. And so he embarks upon a plan to redeem back and to restore this relationship that sin has stolen from him. And at the center of this plan is Jesus, whose name is what? God with us. God knew the human race now infected with sin could never disinfect itself. He knew that no amount of self-effort could ever remove sin's stain from the human heart. No amount of trying to be good could ever take away the guilt, the condemnation, the death that results from sin. No one could ever be good enough to atone for the sin in their life and restore that sin-broken relationship. God knew this. In order for the relationship to be restored, God knew he would have to bring it about. He would have to act. He knew that though fully God, he would have to fully identify with the human creation in every way except one. What was the one way that he would not identify? Sin, absolutely. He would put on our humanity... And join with us, yet remain unstained by sin. And so that is what he did. The first Christmas marks the moment in time when that glorious event occurs. Though we read Matthew's account a moment ago, from verse 18 through verse 25, John gives us the very same account, but he crams it all into one verse. A verse that I know is precious to many of you. John chapter 1, verse 14. Do you suppose we could read it aloud together right off the screen? Let's do that. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He made his what? His dwelling 
among us. You know, I've, I've, I just love that verse. But I've also appreciated in recent years the way that Eugene Peterson rendered verse 14 in his paraphrase called The Message. We'll put it up on the screen. Here's how he renders this verse. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that great? I love that. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Why? Because God wants to be with us. And when Jesus moved in, he moved in, man, all the way in, in every way. He entered this sin-infected world with his whole being, but remained unstained by it. And that is a very important truth for you and I to know. In the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit puts it this way, Hebrews 4.15, there on your note page. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet what? Was without sin. What is so cool about this verse is that it tells us that God in Jesus really does know what life here is like because he lived it. Because he has been with us. He's walked in our shoes. He's been tempted in every way. He knows the battle that we wage with with sin. He he, he walked with us. He he sympathizes and and has compassion and he can feel because he, he experienced it all. Just like you just like me, but he never sinned. He lived perfectly in a way that we never could. And what humility was called for from him to be with us? Do you ever ponder that truth at Christmas? What it took for God to put on flesh and come? He's enthroned in heavenly glory. The whole realm of angels are singing his praises and they're racing to carry out his commands. And and then in the next moment, Jesus is implanted in the womb of a teenage Jewish girl who is a virgin. You You talk about a contrast from heaven to that place. How infinitely strong must have been the desire of God to be with us, to be with us, to make that journey from heaven to Bethlehem. In Philippians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit gives us this amazing passage, a little insight into what it took. Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto or clutched tightly. But he made himself, what? Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. He didn't come as a king or a prince. He comes as a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself. How far did you humble yourself, Jesus? And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's humility. That's love. We'll never fully comprehend what Jesus experienced in order to be with us. But it's what he did. Emmanuel. 
We'll never comprehend that. But it's what he did. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. For who? For us, right? Jesus is Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us. This is the third word behind the meaning of the name Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. He is God with us. And he is God with us. You're going to get this before we're done. I know. You know, one of my famous, favorite, favorite Christmas-focused portions of Scripture is usually not thought of as a Christmas passage at all, but it most certainly is a Christmas passage. And, and you'll, you'll see it there on your study page under God with us there. But if, if you have your Bible, you might even want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 for just a moment. I have over the years shared this with us at this time of year, maybe three times, I'm guessing, over, over the time we've been here together. And, and what's amazing about this passage is that it actually records a conversation. And the conversation is between Jesus and God the Father on the night before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, if you will. And, and I'm serious when I say that. Using a human writer, here's what the Holy Spirit wants us to know about this conversation that took place between the Father and the Son on Christmas Eve, the first Christmas Eve. Here's how it reads, beginning of verse 5. When Christ came into the world, what is that, brothers and sisters? That's Christmas, absolutely. That's, that, that's Bethlehem, isn't it? When, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, talking about the Old Testament. And by that will, verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And by that will, we, us, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know, a moment ago, I said that when God came up with a plan to restore a sin-shattered relationship between himself and us, I said that he knew that no matter how hard we tried to be good, we couldn't remove the sin stain from our life. I mentioned that, that no amount of, of effort on our part could could take away the guilt, the condemnation, the death that results from sin. No one could ever be good enough to atone for the sin in their life. That's what I said. And Jesus agrees with us here in this passage in, in Hebrews 10. Sacrifices and offerings and doing your best to be a good person will never be enough. In fact, you know, God takes no real pleasure in that. Jesus says, God desires to give me a human body and to send me into the human stream. That was his will so that I could offer myself up on the cross in the sinner's place, pay for the sin debt that was not my own, assume the guilt for sin that was not mine, die the death that I did not deserve so that every sinner 
who in simple faith allowed me to do that for them could be with God again. That's Emmanuel. That's Emmanuel. God with us. So that we can be with God. Yeah, with Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God. God takes the sinless life of Jesus and He applies it to your sinful life and my sinful life through our faith in Jesus so that God can be with us and we can be with Him. God doesn't look at us anymore and see our sin. He sees the blood of Jesus applied to our life and the righteousness of Jesus applied to our life. And the relationship is restored. Emmanuel. Friends, when we stop and think about the Christmas story and the characters who were invited to be part of that first Christmas, it's always fascinating to me that none of those who were part of that first Christmas came to that first Christmas with with anything that we might call impressive credentials or accomplishments or good efforts or merits that would have moved the heart of God to invite them to the first Christmas. I mean, Mary was a, a very simple teenage Jewish girl. She came with nothing. She brought nothing. Joseph, he was a common laborer ordinary Jewish man. He came with nothing. The shepherds who were invited uh, to the Bethlehem stable that night that Jesus was born, they were just poor night watchmen. They brought nothing to the table. God invited them not because of anything in them, but simply because he wanted them to be there with him. And they, for their part, simply and humbly had to say, I've got nothing, but I'd love to come. I'd love to come. I'd love to be part of this great thing that you're doing. What this tells us is what Jesus tells us in Hebrews 10. Credentials and accomplishments and good works and personal merits are not what God desires. He desires only that anyone who wants to be with him come with nothing. Did you hear that? You come with nothing. You come with nothing and you put your whole faith and your whole trust in in what Jesus has done because he's done everything. You know, most of the people in the world don't get that. This time of year, the vast majority of the world's population does not get that truth. They come with their arms full to God. God, I've done this. God, I've done that. Surely you should accept me. I'm a good person. I try really hard. I'm more godly than most of the people I know. I give to this charity. I volunteer at this nonprofit organization. I do, I do, I do, I do. And surely you're impressed by that. And if they're not saying that, they're saying, God, you know, I've had a hard life. Uphill all the way. Nothing easy. Nothing's been fair. I've paid my dues. You owe me. No. We bring Nothing but our sin. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is such a beautiful passage for us. So familiar and so loved by us. Hopefully never taken for granted. How does it read? 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. You bring nothing. God gives everything through Emmanuel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that the relationship would be restored. Emmanuel is truly God with us. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with us. And Jesus is God with us. Don't you love that? You know, some people have died with that truth on their lips. May we, IBC family, live with that truth on our hearts and on our lips all the time. Emmanuel. Let's pray together. Oh, oh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, what a glorious, glorious name. We are so blessed to have this beautiful name. It's your name, Jesus. It's your name. You are God. You are with us. You are with us. Oh, how we praise you. How we praise you. In this moment, perhaps you walked through the doors of the Bible church this morning and you thought you knew who Jesus really was. And, and yet, by his grace, he has unfolded a new, a new understanding of Jesus for you and your relationship with him in a way you've never seen it before. If that be true for you and, and you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you've always come to God with your arms full of your efforts. Maybe today's the day you just drop it all and you come with nothing. Nothing but a desire for Jesus to pay your sin debt so that you could be with him forever. And so in the quietness of heart, you would, of your heart, you would just ask Jesus to do that right now. You can do that right where you're seated. Just talk with him. He's listening. Your arm's empty, but your heart open wide to receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone. For all of us who know that great truth, may we just celebrate that now as we gather around this table. Rejoicing in this fact, God is with us. Amen and amen. Well, church family, I would just ask you to ready your hearts for this very sacred moment. I can't think of a better way to step into uh, your Christmas week than to, to take communion and remember what Jesus has done for you. If you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, whether that's something that just happened right now in this room or whether that is something that happened decades ago. This table belongs to you. It's a gift from Jesus to all of us. He gave it to us on the night before he was crucified. He said, this is what I want you to do faithfully. I want you to remember what it took for me to be with you and for you to be with me. Remember my death. Remember my death. My blood, which has purchased your salvation. So we'll give you an opportunity to draw before your Heavenly Father and 
and just thank him for that. And if there's, if there's something in your life that, that uh, you know, if, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, do that. Talk to your Heavenly Father. Plead the blood of Jesus. And then we'll take the elements together, the bread and the cup, and remember Emmanuel. Let's pray together, and I'll ask the ushers to come forward while you take a moment and just draw before your Heavenly Father.